Thank you, Caleb, for reading that. Um, I want to share a few words from um, the scriptures and from life um, as we move towards the Eucharist table together this morning. Um, like Brad mentioned at the top of our service, this is Pentecost, and we celebrate the Holy Spirit being with us, which sends us like we've, we have done with Anna, um, and that also teaches us how to listen. And I want to hold that, um, that framing, appreciate that framing as we look at this story together. Uh, Luke 24, the road to Emmaus story, has been on my mind a lot, as I've indicated. I think I wrote something about that last week in the tidings. We've been in that story a few times. John 20, um, the story we're in today, is another one that I, that I seem to keep coming back to. And we've gone over this. We've, we've worked with this passage um, in the past as well. But I want to do it again um, in, light of, in light of what's going on in our world today and where we are at right now as a church. Um, in this story, as you know, Jesus has died. Um, people had followed him. He had preached and loved and welcomed um, and spoke truth. And those in authority had seen their power being questioned. Um, and so they considered him a threat, um, a Roman and religious threat. Um, and he had been killed um, and crucified as a convict, um, as someone who was outside the law. And the disciples in this story, we find them, they're in a room. And it says that they're behind closed doors and that they're afraid of the authorities. And I can imagine a whole range of emotions that they might be experiencing. Um, afraid of religious and governmental authority. Um, no doubt disappointed because what they had thought was their future seemed to be um, discarded. Perhaps they feel guilt. Um, like maybe they'd given in to the status quo because they had denied him and they had abandoned him. And now they're left behind this, these doors to kind of sort that out. Um, certainly they felt sad. Um, certainly they were afraid. Certainly they were angry at all that had transpired. Um, we, we know some of these types of feelings right now. Um, we know what it is to be behind closed doors. Um, our country has now experienced over 100,000 deaths due to COVID-19. The United States, um, there's over a million deaths worldwide. Um, and so we are behind closed doors a lot of the time right now. We have healthcare professionals because of this reality who are giving literally of their lives to be with people struggling and suffering um, in general, but with COVID-19. Um, and so we pray for them and we pray for their households. Um, being at home uh, behind closed doors has brought a lot of time with households and families. And a lot of times there's a lot of joy and enjoyment in that. But that much time with a household um, brings to the surface um, dynamics that have been there the whole time. It's just now we're less able to kind of avoid those things or hide those things because we're with each other so much. And those dynamics can be challenging because every household, every family um, has dysfunctional dynamics. Um, and the beauty of this is that when they come to the surface, we have a chance of naming them and working with them. 
But a lot of times that takes energy and space, and sometimes we don't have that energy or space to do that. And so we know what it's like to be behind closed doors and to experience some of the challenges that come with it. Um, there's lots of um, evidence of mental health challenges right now for people who are sheltering in place. Um, depression articles move through my newsfeed consistently because um, we're missing friends. We're missing connection. Um, we're celebrating things that we should be celebrating together, but we're not. Um, and so um, mental health challenges are real for many of us. For those who have struggled with mental health for a long time, um, this may be a new challenge for people now. Um, and so we face that right now. And we navigate this the best we can. We try to be faithful and show solidarity. And we know that we need social connection. And so we're uncertain about how to move forward um, in a way that's vibrant and healthy um, and wise. Um, even the permission to open up churches this weekend in our area raised some of these questions for us. And how nice would it have been to be together? And yet how challenging, because of understandable restrictions, it would have been to be together. Um, and so we sit in that. And then, not to mention 30% unemployment, um, we're navigating all of this the best we can. But we know what it's like to be behind closed doors. It says that the disciples were afraid of Jewish authorities, religious authorities, Roman authorities. Today, there are many people in our country who we see the fear of authorities playing out. Um, we have seen the murder of George Floyd. Um, the last time I preached, we were talking about the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, um, Breonna Taylor. Um, we've seen Christian Cooper's experience in Central Park. Um, 40 million African-American people in our country brothers and sisters, many of them, all of them made in the image of God, um, are heartbroken right now. Heartbroken because the violence doesn't stop. Um, heartbroken because it's been so long. Heartbroken because they've tried to communicate the problem over and over in all sorts of mo modes and methods. And though it seems like people are hearing some things new right now, um, heartbroken because it's taken this long. And all of us unsure of whether this will, in fact, get traction. Um, the last time when we were speaking about Ahmaud Arbery, um, I used some words, white normativity, white supremacy and got a little bit of feedback like what does that mean Josh what does that look like um, and we certainly don't have time to give an exhaustive um, explanation of that but I want to say that to be afraid of authorities like those disciples to be afraid of authorities like our African-American brothers and sisters are and other people of color for that matter um, it's built on a few lies this normativity this this um, supremacy the first lie is that of that that Bio, there's a biological difference in race. That's the first lie that this is built on. 
Um, all sorts of science would disprove this now. My, I could be much closer in DNA with someone of a different race um, than I am with some, someone um, in my own race. Um, but we, we've built a, a society on that lie. The second lie is that we've, we've not only built it on racial difference, but also on a racial hierarchy. And so that there's not only difference in our races, but that in fact, not in fact, but we've built it on this lie that races, there's races that are better than others. Um, and we all might even look at those lies now and, and kind of quickly dismiss them like, yeah, of course, those are lies. Those are not true. But the problem is we have built systems in our country based on those lies for generations, and we now live in those systems. And it's those systems um, that are built to support this view of reality um, that cause the oppression we see right now. Um, systems like slavery, um, those lies are built into it. Systems like civil rights, the, or, or excuse me, segregation, those lies are built into it. Um, Practices like redlining, where um, people of different races were required to live in different, different places of a town. Um, those laws are now gone, but if you look at maps now, my friend Robert Romero has shown me, um, even still, the, the racial makeup of the areas of many, many cities, Monrovia included, and I, I think Pasadena, um, still um, are made up of similar races in those redlined areas that once had been mandated. And so we are still living with the, the damage and, and the existence of these systems built on these lies. And, and because these systems are built on these lies, um, race does matter. The social construct that we're living in, based on lies, has created consequences for people of different races um, that um, are not equal. For some of us, the consequences has been privilege and opportunity, um, but also um, a conditioning towards violence and pride. Um, for other races, the social construct has limited opportunity um, and has brought about um, violence towards them um, because of the systems that have been set up and so white normativity or supremacy is not an individual act, but it's, it's, a, it's a fog over all of us. Um, and over the last weeks and years, we see that another system that has been built on these lies is how we police or correct one another in our society. Um, and so this isn't just about those certain police officers who did this act. Um, but this is about a way of policing that's built on these lies of racial difference and racial hierarchy. Um, and so even to say, oh, but like every, every, um, every kind of vocation has a bad apple or two. I mean, it's similar to a spouse's fighting and one saying, I'm mad at you, and the other one saying, well, yeah, but look how great I am generally. You know, that, that would not work in a, in a relationship. Um, and it's not working. It's just not working now. Um, even the autopsy um, that came out um, for George Floyd, I think speaks to um, what, what I'm talking about. Um, 
the autopsy um, came out listing all sorts of preconditions, pre-existing conditions that might have um, kind of supported, I guess, um, or or participated in in this in this death. Um, but if someone died of domestic violence, if if someone died of um, of or something like that, um, there would be no blame on pre-existing conditions. Um, that wouldn't even come up. Um, and yet here in this, this murder that we all saw, um, an autopsy, it's, it's, it's baked into how we do things, this idea of racial, this lie of racial difference and racial hierarchy. And so today, we, like the disciples, we know what it's, we, 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 are, we are witnessing, and our, and our African-American brothers and sisters know what it is to be afraid of authority um, and to be mad at authority. Um, and this is a daily, a daily reality. And unfortunately, these murders have, have shown a troubling light um, on, 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 on this. What do you say when this is our world right now? <laughs> I've struggled with this all week. Um, what, what do you What do you say? What is What is the gospel? What does the story have to say to us when this is um, the world we're living in? Jesus walks into this room. Jesus moves beyond the closed doors, and the risen Christ stands among these disciples and, and says, peace. And certainly this word peace has enormous um, promise and theological meaning. In fact, a few weeks ago when we looked at this story, I went into that. I mean, it means wholeness. It means salvation. It means there is a better future ahead for the world and for all of us. And we proclaim that today. We, we come together in, in the Spirit to believe that together today. The other thing that this, this phrase, peace, that Jesus offers to the disciples um, is just a real standard greeting of hello. Hello, you disciples who feel uh, guilty. You disciples who are afraid. You disciples who are angry. You disciples who feel so uncertain. The living Christ, the Spirit of God, walks into this room and says, Hello. I see you. Um, Padre Gotuma, who we read many of his prayers um, in a book that Deborah recommended to our pastoral staff, um, from her spiritual direction program. She has a chapter on, on this, or excuse me, he has a chapter on this. And he talks about this greeting. And he talks about a greeting in Papua New Guinea that he was made aware of, where they don't even have a word for hello, but what their phrase is, is you are here. Um, Jesus is moving into this place with the disciples, and I wanna say today that Jesus is moving into our places of living and dwelling behind closed doors, moving into our fears and onto the streets with people who are angry and have had enough of injustice. And, and the Spirit of God is saying, I see you. You are here. 
and where you are, I am. And so this morning, wherever we connect with all the realities going on in the world, whether it's loneliness, challenges with mental health, family dynamics that seem like too much, um, racial oppression and violence. Um, the Spirit of Christ says to the world and to the church, peace, I see you and I'm with you. Um, about 10 years ago, Brian Stevenson, um, author of Just Mercy and a famed um, attorney who works with people who are on death row, he told a story in a TED Talk where he's talking about his grandma. And he was saying how he grew up with a big, large family. And um, he loved growing up with such, so many brothers and sisters and cousins. And, um, but yet the challenge with that is that he, was, he didn't get as much time with his grandma who he respected so dear much um, because there was just so many people she was kind of interacting with. And one day he said he'd never forget. His grandma pulled him over and he said, she said, Brian, I want to talk to you. And so she sat him down and, and she said, Brian, I just want you to know, I see you. You have promise. And I want you to make me three promises. And he said, oh, he was just sitting there wet, ready for these. Feeling so just loved in that moment. And she said, the first promise I want you to make is that I want you to promise me you'll always do the right thing even when it's the hard thing. And if you know his story, if you've seen the movie or read his book or learned anything about him, you know he has lived into that identity. The second thing she said to him is, I want you to love your mother. That's a good word for us in the household dynamics thing. Uh, love your mother, love your father, love your, your housemate, love yourself, love your, your kids. Um, and the third thing she said to him is, don't drink alcohol. And, and in the TED Talk, there was a big laugh um, about that. And then he told a story about being in the woods one time with his brother and his cousin, and they had somehow gotten their hands on a six-pack of beer. And they were in the woods together, and they were cracking open these beers, and they were saying, here you go, Brian, have some. And he said, no, no, I, I don't want any. You guys go ahead. Come on, come on, Brian, have some. No, no, I'm okay. I, I don't want any. And all of a sudden, his brother stopped and said, wait a minute. You're not all caught up on the grandma talk, are you? <laughs> and it ends up she had these conversations with all of her grandchildren. You are special. I see you. Do the right thing, even when it's the hard thing. Love your mother. Don't drink alcohol. And Brian Stevenson at the time, this is 10 years ago, so I don't know if this is still true or not, but he stood there and he said, I'm a 52-year-old man, and I have not had a drop of alcohol in my life. And he said, I don't tell you that because I think it's virtuous. He said, I tell you that because to, to demonstrate the power of identity, that when you're seen for who you are, made in the image of God, you can do the hard thing. Um, our text today, um, Jesus walks through the room with the disciples, walks into our lives, walks into the protests, the ones that have gone on, the ones that are happening right now, um, and says, I see you in all the beauty, in all the ugly, in all the joy, in all the sorrow. 
I see you and I'm with you this Pentecost Sunday. Um, I see you medical professionals. I see you protesters. I see you 40 million brothers and sisters who are African-American and who live in our country. I see you. And the God that we serve sees them and we need to see them. And we need to see these oppressive systems that are built into the way things are. Those who are sick with COVID, I see you. Families facing challenging dynamics, I'm with you and I see you. Those of us who um, have historic or more recent challenges with mental health, I'm with you. Um, we are all made in God's image. Uh, and this Pentecost Sunday um, calls us, reminds us that God is with us, enacting peace. Um, we're going to move to Eucharist here in a minute. One quote that I, I wanted to read, and this is off of Sonia's newsfeed, and it's by an author and activist um, named Ijema Olua. It has to do with being anti-racist. I think, I think the right thing and the hard thing right now is to be anti-racist, um, period. Um, we just have to figure what, out what that looks like. Uh, as a church, as individuals, as communities, uh, as a country, and she writes, the beauty of anti-racism is that you don't have to pretend to be free of racism to be an anti-racist. The beauty of anti-racism is that you don't have to pretend to be free of racism to be an anti-racist. Anti-racism is the commitment to fight racism wherever you find it, including in yourself. And it's the only way forward. This Pentecost, may we be stirred by the Spirit to take steps always that are, that are characterized as anti-racist, even if it begins by taking a look at our own heart and our own practices. The John 7 passage that Caleb read um, says, Come to me. Um, and drink. Um, come to me, those who are thirsty. Um, and so today we're going to come to the table and we're going to eat and we're going to drink. Um, and we're going to breathe in the breath. Chad's going to lead us in that song in just a minute. Um, God sees us. God's with us. Um, let's find comfort and let's find inspiration um, in that reality today. Amen. Chad, let's sing together. <laughs>